The first Bible reading tonight is Genesis 22, um, from verses 1 to 20 to 19. It's on page 17 of the Bibles on the um, seats in the church. Going from verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went, up, went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound, up, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Bathsheba, and Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. The second reading comes from James 2, 14 to 26, and it can be found in page 1044 or page 20 of your booklets. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. 
You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and by his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was filled that says, Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Precious Lord, we ask, as your word has just been spoken to us through the Bible, that we would not only listen to it, but that we would do what it says. Amen. Uh, A number of years ago, I was uh, leading a course, a Christian Explored course. Uh, We run it here at church where people are investigating the claims of Jesus, who he is, that kind of thing. And there was a lady at the table, let's call her Grace, because that's her name. And uh, Grace was there and asking the question, just to the whole table, what is a Christian? Everyone shared. And I remember Grace saying, well, a Christian is someone who's a good person, does good things, and hopefully will get into heaven if they do enough. Quite a stock standard answer. But as we went through that night and we opened the Bible, we saw something different. We saw that no one can get into heaven by being good. But the only way you can get into heaven is a gift by what Jesus has done. And you could see the shock on her face, the realization of this is very different to what I thought. And then she asked at the end, she said, so James... Are you telling me a Christian doesn't have to do anything good? What would you have said in response to that? We have been hit week after week by the punchy book of James. And we come to a moment that I think would not only answer Grace's question, but it is one of the most controversial moments in the whole of the Bible. It is controversial because it seems at first... The Bible might be contradicting itself. And it's controversial because it's getting you to question your salvation and ask the question, am I really a follower of Jesus? Now that is dangerous waters, right? But James wants us to enter into these dangerous waters because there is something far more dangerous. And that is having a fake, phony faith that is useless. Have a look. James chapter 2, page 1044. Verse 14, James begins with the question, what good is it, 
my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. He's saying there, what's the point of saying, I'm a woman of faith, I'm a man of faith, I believe in God, but in reality, it doesn't make any difference in your day-to-day, in how you live. So he adds another question. Can such faith save them? Now, there's different ways I think this could look, right? It could be what someone would call a nominal Christian. Someone who says, yes, I'm a Christian, ticks on the census. Maybe go to church once, twice a year. Roll their kids in a Christian school. But when you look at their life, the time, the money, the way they treat people, the way they talk about Jesus, it's no different to other people surrounding them. Another way this could look is what I call the modern-day Christian who's into Jesus, experiences something when they sing, big believer in community, but the idea I have to obey God? Nah. God becomes just approving of all my lifestyle choices. I don't want to obey him, says that type of person, and in the end doesn't change. Another example is the, what I call the cheap grace Christian. Knows I'm saved by faith alone, grace alone. Grew up in a Christian home, and because I'm saved by what Jesus has done, it doesn't matter about the sin in my life. Who cares? He'll forgive me anyway. And so there's no repentance, and there's no action. What good is it, James says, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, before we answer that question, right, James jumps in with an example. Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? Right? It's almost this comical image of a, of a Christian, right? not an atheist, but a Christian standing before you without clothes, literally naked right? and hungry and starving. And you say, good luck. Hope you keep warm tonight. Hope you find something to eat and walk up. Right? It's ridiculous. What good is it, it says? The implied answer is not at all. And if words are just words, then they're meaningless. They're useless, aren't they? James concludes in this part, verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they necessarily are. Because anyone can say, I'm a believer. I have faith. I believe that God exists. Anyone can say that. But what makes a genuine faith, what what the litmus test is, is, is that faith lived out in action, in deed? Now, James doesn't want us to be misguided. Self-delusional, right? This is a stern warning saying if the type of faith you have is just up here, then that type of faith does not save. Jesus said a different way. Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
James comes along in chapter 2 and out of love shakes us up and says, if you think faith is all about what you know, uh uh-uh. But some of you might say, verse 18, you have faith, I have deeds. You know? See? Told you it's all about being good. Told you about it's, it's what you do. But James says, verse 18, he goes on, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds, right? In other words, you cannot separate these two. You cannot pick one. But we have the tendency to split them. Let me give you a visual illustration of what I mean, what James is saying. Faith deeds, right? In the faith box, you just have the cross, what Jesus has done. You put your trust in what he has done and that alone. In the deeds box, we've got all sorts of things. We've got the Bible, obeying God and his word. We've got your, your money, what you do with it. You've got the way you love and treat other people, right? All sorts of things in the deed box. They're separate. Faith is not deeds and deeds are not. But they're connected, right? What James is saying is the problem is, is when we come along and we try and separate them, right? We try and... divide them, right? And when we do... We do one of two things. We either say, it's all about deeds. It's all about what I do. You know, that's going to get me into heaven. But the problem is this. You have to be 100% perfect to get into heaven. God cannot tolerate one single wrongdoing. How many sins did it take Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? One. He can't stand one wrong thing. So you and I, if we're honest, we've got no hope. So we need to find someone who is perfect, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. But the other problem is, if we're all about faith, right, all about what Jesus has done, and it doesn't lead to anything, then the question we've got to come back to is, do we have a proper faith? Have we rightly understood what Jesus has done if it's not producing fruit? So we have the tendency to focus on one or the other, but James is saying, you need both. Both are connected. Martin Luther says this, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Now, if you know your Bibles, you're probably thinking, hang on, aren't there other parts of the Bible that say something different to James? I've got two examples on the screen, right? Both from the Apostle Paul, And they should be there. Yes, there they are. First is from Galatians. Paul says this, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8, one of my favorites. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hold them in your head and look at verse 24 of chapter 2. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Hang on, what the heck? What's going on here, right? 
Because at first, it seems like James is saying something very different to what Paul's saying. Is the Bible contradicting itself is the natural question to ask. We've got three options, right? We can either firstly say, well, James is wrong, rip, throw in the bin. Second option, we could say, well, God's mysterious, his ways are mysterious, and just put our head in the sand, right? Or the third option is, we can know that God's word is perfect and he never contradicts himself, and we take a further look in, right? And to understand the connection of these two, there are two keys you need to know about. The first is this. Paul and James are speaking to very different audiences. Paul is speaking to a bunch of people who believe that they are saved by doing good things. And he is saying to them, no, the only way you are saved, the only way you are justified is by what Jesus has done. And because that is true, that gives you confidence, assurance, certainty, that you can know that when you die, you will be with Christ forevermore. James, on the other hand, is speaking to an audience who know that. They know they're saved by faith. They're brothers and sisters. They, they know they're justified by faith alone. But they have this presumption. Because I'm not saved by good works, I don't need to do good works. Who cares how I live? And James, in a way, is trying to unassure them, unsettle them. So the importance is to know the difference who they're speaking to. And right in this room, right, there are different types of people. Some of you are what I call new mum Christians. What do I mean by that? On this planet, there is no one more easily to feel guilty than a mum of a newborn baby, right? It is very easy to make them feel guilty. I'll give you an example. You could, a newborn mum could be holding their child stressed, tired, and saying, I, I can't get to sleep. I'm trying to put my child to sleep. They're five months old, and I just keep rocking them. And, I, and you can do this. Oh, something subtle as that, and they will feel terrible. I'm a bad mom. I'm a terrible. I'm going to be rocking him until he's 30. I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm a loser. And easily, look at advertising, right? They'll say, you need to buy this product if you really loved your child, right? You know, it's just, there's no person more easily guilt. And some of you are new mom Christians, you could be a Christian for 30 years and still a new mum Christian, right? Because you read a passage like this and you instantly think, that's me. I'm not a Christian. My faith is dead. I'm, I'm a terrible. I'm going to hell, right? But then you look at your life and you are obeying the Bible. You are serving. You are loving others. Don't automatically assume that James 2 is directed at you. You may need to read of Romans 8. But there are some of us who are what you call new dad Christians, right? The dad of a newborn baby, when it comes to advice given or comments, like water for ducks back, ah, she'll be right. I had a goldfish once, this baby thing, that'll be easy, right? It, it just oblivious. And some of us are new dad Christians. When we read a passage like this, we think, oh, cool, yep, water for ducks back. But James is speaking, as it were, to new dad Christians to shake us up to say, when you look at your life, you're actually not obeying the Bible. There's no repentance of sin. There's, there's no love and good deeds. You should be worried. So that's the first thing, the audience, right? The second key thing in understanding how these, 
this passage work with others, is what does faith mean? Because when Paul speaks about faith, he's talking about faith as a personal trust in what Jesus has done, in the promises of God. But the way James talks about faith is more about information, intellectual understanding about God. You see that in verse 19. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, a faith that is just in the mind, is just intellectual, you're just thinking, I believe in God, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. The problem with that type of faith is demons have it. Demons have great theology. They believe God is one. But if faith is just based on what you know, then on that basis, demons are saved too. I think you'd disagree with that. And once more, faith can't be just even a feeling, right? Because you notice that demons shudder. When it comes to knowing God, they experience God and they have an emotional response. So faith can't just be what you know and what you feel. Genuine faith, according to the Bible, is a personal trust in Jesus. It is relational. It is saying, I am a sinner. I have done wrong, and you, Jesus, are my saviour. And because you saved me, I want to remove and repent of the sin in my life. It's saying, I am a child of God, adopted in by God the Father. And because you, God, are my Father, I want to obey you in all areas of my life. It's saying, I am forgiven. That Jesus washed my sins. I am forgiven, which means I want to forgive and love others. A genuine faith has a personal trust in Jesus and you can see it. Before we focus in on you and when you're right, I just want to talk about other people and how this passage applies to other people in your realm. First is this. Let's talk about romantic relationships, right? If you're looking to date or to marry someone, and your criteria for whether you should date or marry them is, will they believe in God? No, on that basis, you'd be happy to date Satan, because Satan too believes in God, right? Can I encourage you, aim higher than that criteria, right? If your benchmark is, well, they're not anti-God, they're open to Jesus, I found them on a Christian dating site, you need to have a higher standard. Look for evidence. Look for the way that they're involved in their local church, for the way they talk about other people, people who've hurt them, people who are different from them. Look at the way they speak about Jesus and how that has changed their life. When it comes to hiring a Christian in the workforce, right, don't just resort to, well, it says there on the resume they attended a church. Call up references and look for character. If you're going to work for a Christianized organization, don't just rely on a motto or a Christian mug you found in the kitchen, right? Look for evidence. Is this Christian organization actually doing what it's called to do? For those of you who have children who are older and you're wondering whether they're saved or not, can I encourage you, look for how they live their life. And if you don't see a faith that is alive, it is better to say, I don't think they're walking with the Lord than to pretend. 
As hard as that is, it's better to be honest because if you do that, you'll pray for them differently. You will treat them differently. No, if they are not a Christian, you have not failed as a parent. You have not failed. But it is better to see and call a spade a spade for what it is so that you can pray for them differently. My friend Liz last year gave me an orange tree. She said it was an orange tree and there was a tag that said orange tree on it. I haven't seen any oranges yet. I graciously presume it is an orange tree. But it is when I see that first orange that I know for certain, ah, it's an orange tree. It's bearing fruit. If you're still not convinced, James gives us two examples from the Bible. Verse 20. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith, that deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he is called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? James brings two examples from the Old Testament, quite different from one another, right? You've got Abraham, a major biblical figure. Rahab, a minor figure. One man, one a woman. One the father of faith, father of Jews. The other a foreigner, a nobody. One highly respected, one not so much. And, and James brings these two examples almost as an all-encompassing statement. So we can't weasel away out saying, well, that's Abraham. He's an exception to the rule, right? He's Abraham. Well, look at Rahab. She too had faith that led to action. Both of them had faith that you can see. Abraham, for example, he was given the promises by God that he'll have more children than stars in the sky. The problem was he was older than anyone else in this room and his wife was too. Miraculously, they were given a son, Isaac. And God said to him, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. See, Abraham said he trusted God. But could you see it? Yes. Because he woke up early and he went up that hill with his son and some sticks. See, it's one thing to say you trust God, but do your actions, do what is underneath, does it come out? And Abraham, though it would cost him everything, obeyed him. And as he was about to come down on his son, God said, stop. I will provide the sacrifice so that you don't have to. But the point was Abraham had a faith that showed an obedience. Rahab, on the other hand, she didn't know much, as much as Abraham did about God. Yet she still had faith. And she protected two spies from who knows what would have happened to them. Did they deserve it? Not in the slightest. But she protected them. She helped people in need. And her faith you could see in action. I think the point is this. 
The life of faith is not a private experience between you and God. Faith should be alive, evident, notice, seen. Last year, November, uh, there's a picture of uh, Nima and Dawa, who are conjoined twins. In Melbourne Hospital, last November, they were separated successfully. They were, succe- they were successful because they had two hearts. But from my understanding, if conjoined twins have one heart, then you cannot separate them. And friends, faith and deeds share the same heart of Jesus Christ. And you cannot separate them. Look at Abraham and Rahab. People who had faith and you could see it. They didn't pick one or the other. James concludes verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Last year, November actually as well, my nunna died. And at the funeral, or just before the funeral, there was an open casket. And there I saw my nunna, and it was her, but it wasn't her. It was her body, but her spirit was gone. And when people look at you, say you're a Christian, say you have faith, is there something missing? Is there a life to your faith? Can it be seen? I'm going to stop for a moment and I want you to think and be honest. I'm going to ask you five questions to help you think where you're at, right? No one's going to ask you about these. It's just between you and God, right? First question I want you to ask is this. Do you genuinely desire to follow Jesus and obey him? Do you, second question, do you regularly repent of your sin? Not just feel bad about it, but admit to it and actively ask for forgiveness. Thirdly, do you give regularly money and time to others who are not related to you? Fourthly, when was the last time you gave something up, whether reading or watching or experiencing something, because of your faith in Jesus? And lastly, are you more kind, gentle, self-controlled, caring than you used to be? As you go through those questions, for some of you, I say, you know what, by the grace of God, there is signs of spiritual life. By the grace of God, there are deeds. It's not going to be perfect, right? But are there patterns? Are there patterns? Are there signs of growth? And for some of you, there are. For many of us, there are. 
that he has a faith that is alive. Because we're Protestants, we sort of get uncomfortable when it comes to good works, right? We don't want to talk. But you know what? It is actually good to rejoice that God is doing good works in your life. Because in Ephesians 10, it says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's your purpose as a Christian. Who cares what you do, where you go? Your purpose is to do good works. And if God is doing that in your life, if that can be seen, rejoice, be thankful. And as I look around this room, I see many brothers and sisters who have a faith that is alive. For others of you, if you're honest, you know that you don't live it out. There's a worry that's building up. And the best thing you can do is to say, you know what, I've actually been living a fake faith. The worst thing you can do is leave this building and say, who cares? Jesus told a story of a dad who had two sons. And he said to the first son, come work with me in the vineyard. The first son said, nah. A couple of hours later, he said, all right, and he went out. The second son said, oh, yeah, dad, I'll do it, I'll help. But he never went. He never went. Are you the second son? All talk, no action. If that is you, what do you do? What do you do? We're about to take communion together. And when Jesus talked about communion, he had bread and he had wine, two elements, right? And he wants you to think about this. The bread symbolizes that Jesus' body was broken for you. And the wine symbolizes that Jesus' blood was shed for you which means that it cost Jesus everything to save you. The best thing you can do is to get rid of a cheap understanding of what Jesus has done. If it doesn't impact you personally, maybe you've not got it, right? But there's one thing to hold the elements, right? It's another thing to eat them. It's one thing to know about what Jesus has done. It's another to put your trust in it. And the thing about communion is, it's not a one-hit wonder. We do it again and again and again. Not because we're, we're saved by it again and again. No, no, no. But because like you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, meals that sustain you, keep you going, the Lord's Supper gives us the motivation, the energy to keep on going, to do good works, to repent of sin, to obey God. It reminds us again and again that I'm saved by faith, but that the faith that saves is never alone. As James says, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That you, brothers and sisters, are saved by faith. But that faith is never alone. That we are called to do love and good deeds for his glory and our joy.